Hello and welcome to Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association with me, Patrick Johns. Well, we did it. We got to half term and my goodness, doesn't it seem like only a heartbeat ago that we were suddenly thrust into the unknown world of online teaching. And now, well, it's what we're doing day in, day out, though I bet you, like me, cannot wait to get back in the classroom and actually make some live music with our students. Talking of live music, we're going to hear a little from Chichi Nwanogu, founder and director of the Chinike Junior Orchestra, about their recent success playing live on a popular television talent show. We'll have another interview from the Music Expo back in March. We're going to look ahead to the MTA at Home virtual conference being held next weekend, Saturday the 30th of May, and we'll hear from one of the stars of the conference, pianist extraordinaire Harry the Piano, about his forthcoming set and about his work as a teacher of improvisation. But let's start off with a quick look at a newish orchestra that has suddenly had some national exposure on that well-known platform for discovering the next big thing, Britain's Got Talent. I'm sure we're all familiar with the Chinnike Orchestra, the first professional orchestra for musicians from a BAME background, founded by double bassist extraordinaire Chichi Nwanoku. Their junior version, the Chinnike Junior Orchestra, recently wowed the judges and the audience on the show by performing a medley of classical and pop favourites in a unique way, without sheet music and without a conductor. Very impressive. Here's Chi-Chi to tell us what the orchestra is up to now in lockdown and about their big day on Britain's Got Talent, starting with what it was like to watch her young musicians perform in such a high-profile setting. I was there in the audience at their performance at Britain's Got Talent and then when it came to watching the event actually on the TV unfolding, I was literally shaking with excitement as if I'd birthed all of them. <laughs> it, was, it was an incredible feeling of excitement. I was, the word proud isn't big enough, you know, and one of the most common things that people say to me, because even though I don't, I want, you know, diversity in orchestras to be business as usual, it should not be a novelty. And even four and a half years down the line since Chinnike um, was created, People still say to me, Chichi, do you lower the barrier so that BME, black and minority ethnic kids, can get to play in an orchestra? And I find that a really challenging question because what you saw on Britain's Got Talent was 65 musicians without a conductor, without any music, so all from memory. This is a first across the world. No orchestra, not even professional orchestra, plays not only without a conductor, but with also without the music. So when people ask me that question, do I lower the barrier? Actually, no, I raise the barrier and I watch them going over it. In fact, Britain's Got Talent wrote to me a couple of times and I was thinking, now, is this really the kind of thing we want to be putting ourselves in for? Because in February, I judged the semi-finals of BBC Young Musician of the Year. It's a very high standard instrumental competition. And the jury are usually people who are qualified, who are classical musicians themselves in the industry. So I felt very concerned about whether I should put our junior orchestra on the firing line to be judged by people who aren't necessarily qualified in classical music. And then I spoke to a few of my colleagues and some of the kids and they said, Look, Chitty, just get over yourself. If we can convince people who aren't classical music buffs, then we've done even better. And that was the right reason for us to go in for this. And also to be viewed by so many millions of people that we don't normally see in a classical music concert hall.
we're doing lots of digital content at the moment. We're making partnerships across the pond with similar American um, organizations. And if anyone wants to you know, be inspired by even more of the juniors, lots of our juniors are sending in wonderful demonstration tapes where they show how to practice vibrato. There's lots of short videos from our juniors on the chinake.org website. We're basically just trying to stay engaged playing in our isolation, but, you know, connecting digitally. Thanks to Chichi Nwanoku, director of the Chinake Junior Orchestra, and of course, good luck to them in bringing orchestral music to a wider audience via Britain's Got Talent. Now, parish notices. Well, I'll tell you all about the forthcoming online MTA conference in a few moments' time. But in terms of the bigger picture, schools going back and so on, when, who, how, still a complete mystery, I'm afraid. I've never been one for accepting press releases and insincere, carefully worded political statements at face value. So I personally have found no comfort in the government's recent pronouncements about schools returning to -to face-to-face teaching. No matter how much we are all keen to get back in the classroom, no one wants to go back before it's safe for everyone. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. So now, for a moment, let's look back at one of the last normal events that any of us attended, the Music and Drama Expo, back at the start of March. I buzzed around, chatting to exhibitors to find out what they can offer us as practitioners. Like a moth to a flame, I was drawn to an extremely successful brand, and one still on the up, with lots of new courses released recently. Now, in recent years, there's been a sharp uptake in vocational awards and alternatives to the traditional uh, performing degrees and performing qualifications. And one of the big players is RSL, which is Rock School. And I'm here with Dan Clark from Rock School. Hi there. How's it going? Right, Dan, for those who don't know, just give us an overview. What is Rock School? Rock School is a graded syllabus system which uh, basically spans from the pre-grade one level so premiere and debut all the way up to grade eight and offers strong progression opportunities for youngsters learning instruments uh, to be able to develop really strong skills that will progress them towards being able to operate effectively in the industry. And can you just tell us the, the instruments that you do grades for? It's not all instruments, is it? It's primarily, obviously, hence the name, rock instruments. So let us know, what have you got? Pretty much what it says on the, on the tin. So all the rock instruments that you'd see on, a, on most contemporary stages, from the power trio, the guitar, bass and the drums, which expands into, of course, acoustic guitar and ukulele on the fingered instruments, as well as piano, keyboard, music production music theory and bass guitar we got that part of the power trio one quick question your music theory how does that differ from the traditional music theory degrees offered by other boards yeah sure so the music theory syllabus was devised as a way to give contemporary rock focused musicians the same kind of support and platform that let's say a more classical focus theory uh, syllabus would have and so in that you'll find a lot more uh, rhythmical focus as well as improvisational focus which is where rock school students are, are encouraged to start and from there are able to actually get a background understanding of the knowledge of music from 
scales through to arpeggios and and understanding the um, the fundamentals of of what it takes to actually build a contemporary song or a contemporary style of music across all the different genres within that. So from funk music to hip-hop to jazz, fusion to classic rock and everything in between. And for those who want to find out more, where can they find you online? You can find us on rslawards.com and what that is is our website and on there you've got all sorts of details around our syllabus from uh, from our graded instruments all the way through to vocational qualifications and also our performing arts awards which cover musical theatre, jazz dance and street dance. Thanks to Dan Clark from RSL Rock School. Before we move on to the next interview which gives details of the MTA at Home Virtual Conference on the 30th of May, I'd like to flag up something that I'm sure will be of interest to us all and to our young performers. The National Youth Orchestra of Great Britain is organising an event called Musical Planet, essentially inviting as many people as possible to perform Jupiter from the planets on Friday the 29th of May at 5pm. All the parts are on the NYO's website and a piece has been arranged to cover different ability levels and instruments. Just visit nyo.org.uk forward slash our hyphen musical hyphen planet. Now, this time of year, mid to late May, is the time for the highlight of the year, the MTA annual conference with the trade fair, amazing CPD sessions, networking, rekindling old friendships and making new ones. It can't happen as planned this year for reasons too obvious to state, but the committee has been hard at work to bring you the best alternative possible, MTA at home. Here to tell us more is MTA committee member and director of music at Westminster School, Tim Garrard. So my Facebook profile reminded me through the memory section that two years ago I was stood next to the Eton Choir Book, marvelling at how glorious it was and what a fantastic weekend we had at Eton. And then of course last year at Bromsgrove, this year it can't happen because of lockdown, coronavirus, etc. So Tim Garrard, what have we got in this place? Well, like you, Patrick, I was gutted this year when we were not allowed to proceed with our conference at St Paul's. The MTA is doing brilliant things in terms of providing inset regularly each week, but what it isn't doing is that brilliant sense of Friday night and Saturday night coming together, celebrating, discussing, chatting with each other, having brilliant meals, black tie events, etc. So we thought we'd put all of that into one bubble and offer this MTA at home on Saturday the 30th of May. How similar will that be to an MTA conference? What have we got? What can't we have? Well, we won't unfortunately be able to be with each other in person, but we will be with each other over the virtual Zoom world and there will be various bits and bobs that one might expect to see at a normal conference would it be happening. So for example, Though there is no actual trade fair, there will be a virtual trade fair video. There is going to be an AGM chaired by our president, Simon Toy. There is going to be a cocktail masterclass that isn't normally at a conference. So there is something that you would not normally get. And the cocktail masterclass is with Mark Wilderspin, who, of course, would have been hosting us at St Paul's this year at the conference. I have to interrupt you there, Tim. I apologise, but I'm excited already about the cocktail masterclass but i need to know will we be provided with a list of drinks in advance that we need to have or are we going to end up with some hideous concoction there's mark making his beautiful cocktails and there's us with a mixture of a bit of leftover gin a bit of leftover rum and some orange squash 
you will certainly be provided with a list of essential ingredients. Whether you will be making a hideous concoction, I can't actually confirm or deny because I don't know how good Mark is, but there will be a list of ingredients being sent. As well as the Cocktail Masterclass, we have a special guest, Harry the Piano, who's been such a brilliant performer at previous conferences, is going to be with us and he's going to be taking requests from his virtual audience. That's going to be at about seven o'clock, so guests are very welcome to eat their dinner whenever they choose, really, and to drink Mark's cocktails and to put children to bed to do whatever's needed. Um, but Harry is going to be there entertaining us for an hour. We're then going to follow that with our virtual trade fair video, which we've... And following on from that is the quiz, another thing that you would not normally get at a conference. And we are encouraging members to form groups if they'd like prior to the night itself. If you've got friends and colleagues you'd like to be in a group with, then do put yourself into teams. And then after the quiz, we are going to retire to the virtual bar that will feel, I'm sure, like MTA conferences of old. Um, and it's a chance for people to meet up with great friends and also to meet new acquaintances. And we're going to try and do that uh, within various session rooms so that it's not a free-for-all. So the, I guess this MTA at home is basically a conference plus, if you like. Will members be expected to be in black tie? Absolutely, yeah. Black tie or pirate costumes. <laughs> um, no, no, the dress code is, is coming, whatever you'd like. Excellent. And that's all going to be taking place on Zoom on Saturday, the 30th of May. Saturday, the 30th of May. And it's actually from five o'clock where the first viewing of the virtual trade fair video and it will go on until it says carriages at midnight. Whether we stop at midnight, I'm not quite sure. So it's going to go on all that time. And the idea is that you drop in and out in whichever way suits you. I'm just checking, it's not going to be recorded, is it? <laughs> it's not going to be recorded, and it would be so great to see as many members as possible at this event. Um, I think it's going to be really good fun. Tim, it sounds like it's going to be an awful lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Saturday the 30th of May. Uh, it must have been an awful lot of work to organise. To be honest, it's a team game. We've got a fantastic committee that have been pulling all the strings. And we're also very grateful to the Duet Group for all of their help in setting up the event. Great. Well, I look forward to seeing you then. Look forward to seeing you too, Patrick. Thanks to Tim Garrard for an overview of what to expect on Saturday the 30th of May at the MTA at Home online conference. One aspect of all of that that may have leapt out at you, as it did me, is the Cocktail Masterclass. Well, as with any class, we need to plan properly. Details will be sent out nearer the time, but as these things can take a little longer to acquire these days, I thought I'd give you a quick heads up of what you'll need to bring to class. Firstly, a shaker or some other kind of mixing receptacle, and then some, most or all, of the following. Gin, rum, vodka, whiskey, fizz, Cointreau, berry liqueur of some kind, sugar syrup, lots of ice, the juice of several limes and lemons, but no orange squash. And as Tim said, there'll be entertainment from the incredible pianistic talents of Harry the Piano. He entertained everyone at the Bromsgrove Conference in 2019, and it's safe to say that he is one of the UK's top piano talents. I was blown away when I saw him play, and his reappearance at this year's conference seemed like as good an opportunity as any to call up Harry and chat to him about jazz, his method of teaching improvisation, and of course, to give him a little musical challenge of my own.
For those who don't know, tell us, who is Harry the Piano? I'm a cabaret pianist, essentially, who was classically trained and then spent some years playing in jazz clubs and um, musical theatre, all that sort of thing. Essentially, what I do is that I will take a live audience and say to them, what would you like to hear? You can ask me for any tune in any style. So somebody might shout out, play EastEnders in the start of Rachmaninoff, or um, play Stars and Stripes Forever in the start of Debussy, or as a polka, or a James Bond theme, or whatever. And I would do, I would instantly take about half a dozen of those requests and do a medley on the hoof of all the requested tunes and requested styles. Do you have composers whose works you prefer to play? I'm thinking when you were studying, when you were training, were you drawn to any particular area of music over another? Initially, things like Mozart and Beethoven, because that's what my father used to play all the time. We had an upbringing without any television and only Radio 3 on ever. So I was sort of immersed in the classics from that age. And then I sort of heard Oscar Peterson and some jazz and was instantly bewitched by that, as you would imagine. I was never really particularly uh, into the, the whole sort of pop and rock thing, came to that much later. So I've been through phases of everything, but uh, I think my Desert Island disc would still be pretty much 50% classical and 50% jazz. I know what you mean. I'm just thinking about Oscar Peterson now. When you watch Oscar Peterson play, I mean, it's amazing enough just to hear it, but the speed at which he can play, I know it's not all about speed, it's still uh, an impressive thing, same way that people love the cadenzas in the piano concerto, but also the, the rate of invention that must have gone through his mind to create this flawless music. Art Tatum is another level up from that as well in some ways, if you're going purely for rate of invention. I don't know if this is apocryphal, but there's a story that when Oscar Peterson first heard Art Tatum play, he gave up for six months. I wouldn't be surprised. There's another story of uh, Fat Swallow, isn't there, sitting in the bar playing and someone tapped him on the shoulder and said, yeah, Art Tatum's turned up. And Fats just stopped and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just a piano player, but God is in the room. <laughs> oh, there's a nice one that my old colleague, uh, Radio 3, Jeffrey Smith, told me that he said, if you ask 10 piano players who the greatest pianist ever is, seven out of 10 will say Art Tatum and the other three are wrong. I should be writing all these down. This is great cabaret material. <laughs> <laughs> and when you played at the MTA conference last year, when you were playing, I was saying to myself, Dudley Moore because of course Dudley Moore was classically trained great jazz pianist but he also did that thing of fusing the classics and then you said how much you liked Dudley's playing. Oh he's an absolute seminal figure for me complete hero as you said I mean there's a just such a small handful of people that actually sort of play what would be considered decent concert piano decent classical piano but play genuine jazz as well. Andre Previn like you say Dudley Moore you're fast running out after that. You know, this, this probably, I'm sure Wayne Marshall could turn his hand to some pretty good jazz. And, but there's not very many, Patrick. You know, you run out pretty fast. It's, it's, it's so unusual because they're so sort of counterintuitive, those two disciplines. It's like jazz is all about the invention and, and classical is all about the sort of sonority and controlling the tone and interpreting what the composer wanted. There's, there's such polar opposites that it's, it's, like, it's almost like a left brain, right brain thing. It's very unusual to find somebody who can combine the two, I guess. And they both take a lifetime's work. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah, you, you, it drives most jazzers apoplectic when you, when you hear sort of um, classical singers or classical pianists trying to sort of have a little throwaway jazz encore. Because you would never get it in reverse. You'd never go to a jazz gig and get somebody playing, you know, kind of the hammer clavier as a movement from that as an encore. Because they understand the kind of, you know, there's a kind of respect for that. A lot of people don't appreciate the, the amount of sophistication and sort of technical prowess and, and harmonic understanding you have to have to play jazz. They're, they're equally kind of difficult. 
I think singers are more guilty of that than instrumentalists. I've met many classically trained singers who casually say, oh yeah, we do some jazz as well. What they mean is they did a close harmony arrangement of a Nightingale sang in Berkeley Square without understanding that that itself only has a passing relationship in that form. It's phrased appallingly as well. As my, my wife has a good expression where she says, uh, so wooden, they're a fire hazard. <laughs> I love it. But anyway, anyway, I, we digress. Now, as well as your performing and your shows, you also teach. I do, I do. I've been um, over 15 years now. I, I started off, um, I was invited to give some lectures at Christ Hospital School down in West Sussex. Then they asked me to come down and, and teach some improvisation. And out of that grew this, this little thing that I call Taught by Harry. But I've been going around the stately schools of England, right up from Gordonston in Scotland down to Taunton. And um, there's lots of sort of odd attitudes to improvisation. First of all, as soon as you say it, everybody thinks jazz. Whereas, of course, Bach, Mozart and Beethoven were the greatest improvisers on record as being able to, you know, improvise amazingly. And teachers get it a little bit, kind of, you can have hackles raising because they think you're going to go in and teach this, you know, this very seductive new subject and it's going to kind of, their pupils are going to take them off the straight and narrow and tried and trusted way to classical practice, which I'm not doing when I give lectures and show people things. I say, this is cadence, this is how Bach might have done it, this is how Mozart might have done it, you know, this is how... So Rachmaninoff may have done it and, and so on. So I, I try to say all these principles are as, as old as the sun. In fact, there's, there's a little chat I give where you have eight bars of Chopin where I say there's every jazz trick in the book is in these eight bars. And it's all the same principles. The thing that pops into my mind immediately is 251. End of every, well, not every chorale, but a huge number of chorales end in 251s. Every, every single jazz chart I can think of has got too far. I mean, from the, the blues or from anything like that, right through to Giant Steps and beyond, they're loaded with 251s. Was it long ago and forward? There is one tune that I usually use to demonstrate 251s in a real book when I've explained the concept of them. And you, just, you give them the, the sheet music and just, you know, it's the lead sheet. So bracket the two five ones you can see on there and they come back a couple of minutes later with about three on there. And then we sit together and go through the chart and by the time we finish, it's all bracket. I mean, it's just a series of two five ones in about four or five keys. And they oh, oh, yes, I hadn't seen that one. I think one of the things there is with a chart, like a lead sheet, is that you don't flag up the changes of key with key signatures in the way that you would expect to see in a, a classical score and often you don't change key I say often almost always you don't change key anything like as frequently in the middle eight of have you met miss jones we, we go through like four keys in eight bars or something yeah absolutely that's a great tune though great tune to play on when you're working with uh, students doing an improvisation workshop what do you start with i get them improvising just using two notes because the first thing you need to do is get them a little bit of confidence because quite often young young students will come to the piano in front of a few of their peers and some older students there and they'll be almost shaking with fear you know because it is terrifying isn't it to be put in front of you put on the spot in front of your peers and asked to make something up is it's quite an intimidating thing for younger students so I give them two notes they just improvise only using those two notes from the scale so you can't make a mistake and then you move to three notes build up a bit of confidence and as um, Steve Berry said this to me once, a bass player, he said, it's, it's, it's this magic moment in a lesson when you've showed somebody who's, who doesn't think they can do this at all. You've given them a few tools and they've suddenly come up with a little original phrase and their eyes kind of fill with wonder and they look at you and say, like, did I just do that? That's the penny drop moment. And when you've suddenly somebody's got the bug to do that, it's just the most incredibly rewarding sort of sensation. It's actually better than standing ovations or anything. I, I love it. That's why I've become really addicted to showing people how to do this stuff. And of course, the, the advantage of 
uh, getting them to improvise on one or two or three notes is that the thing they really have to think about is rhythm. And you know, we know as, as jazz musicians that rhythm is everything. It's the, the most important aspect, I would say, of improvisation. And one thing I've tried to get my students to do as well is to use rest, because if you're hearing a beginner improvise on a blues scale over a 12 bar, and it's just relentless rum-ti-tum-ti-tum, I say, just for the love of God, breathe. Because, of course, pianists don't need to think about breathing when they're playing, whereas a trumpeter or trombone does. Whenever somebody brings back, I say, go away and write a tune on the 12 bar, and they come back and I say, oh, now sing it. <laughs> sing it without yeah. breathing. You know, your saxophone player is not going to thank you for that tune. And that's, you're, you're right. It's, that's the last thing anybody ever says when you say, OK, if you're not, if you're not talking about melody, what are your variables? And eventually you coax out of them, as you said, rhythm and articulation and other things. And eventually you say you're missing one and eventually they get to silence, rests, you know, but it's, it's the last thing they think of. Good stuff. Well, Harry, everybody's going to be looking forward to hearing you play at MTA at home on the 30th of May. Just tell us again what you're going to be doing. Essentially, I'm playing a kind of cocktail piano set for an hour, but I'm taking requests to do tunes in different styles as part of that hour. Harry, just to give people a taster, here is my challenge. Obviously, you've not heard this request in advance. Could you play for us the Hallelujah Chorus in the style of Chas and Dave? <laughs> okay. that was incredible you exceeded my expectations and my expectations were high because i've seen you play live before thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and i absolutely cannot wait to see you play at mta at home on saturday the 30th of may fantastic thank you very much patrick thank you to harry the piano and to all our other speakers tim garrard dan clark and chichi nwanogu if you want to find out more about Harry and his music, do visit harrythepiano.com, where you can also find details of how to have a piano lesson with Harry, online, of course. And that's it for now. If you'd like to take part in a future podcast, please do email me, media at musicteachers.org. I would love to hear from you. If you're not yet an MTA member, then I would urge you to join. It's just over £60 a year and you get so much. The Terminy Magazine Ensemble with its interviews, features and resources. The twice-weekly Zoom meetings, the Facebook staff room and, of course, the annual conference, now imminent, from 5 o'clock on Saturday the 30th of May, all on Zoom. Full information about joining the MTA is available at musicteachers.org. Please help us spread this podcast far and wide by sharing it on your social media accounts and telling friends and colleagues about it. A personal recommendation is everything. As next week is half term and the conference, there won't be a podcast or any Zoom meetings. We all need to recharge our batteries. But I'll be back on Friday the 5th of June. Thank you for listening to Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association with me, Patrick Johns. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.